HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Appeal, helping you enjoy your fruits and vegetables at peak freshness and reduce food waste. Learn more at appeal.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're talking about comfort food as we explore its history, meaning, and different interpretations from around the world. Donburi is just a simple, casual dish, but it's packed with the history. Somebody might have their comfort food be something that they remember eating at their friend's house, but they would never have at their own home. Consuming foods that were eaten then can bring back some of those feelings from, from those times. It's about creating these little breaks and moments during the day where you kind of feel present. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Good evening and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food systems and policy and how they impact all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're going to be talking about an issue near and dear to my heart, which is reducing food waste. The need to reduce food waste is so important, in fact, that Project Drawdown, a nonprofit working to find solutions to climate change, ranks it as the number one most important action in a very long list to keep global warming to under two degrees Celsius. One such organization working to reduce food waste by growing the upcycled food economy is the Upcycled Food Association. Joining me now to talk about what it means to upcycle something and how the association is supporting the work of companies finding creative ways to reduce the overall amount of food waste produced is Turner Wyatt, the association's co-founder and CEO. Turner, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jenna. Happy to be here. Okay, so let's start with the, with the terminology. Um, to upcycle something is a relatively new or emerging term. So what does this mean exactly? And how is it different from recycling or closed-loop manufacturing? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, not too long ago, there was no formalized definition for upcycled food, which is kind of a a hindrance to getting an industry that's based off of that concept off the ground, right? If you don't even know what it means. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that we had to do was define upcycled food. What exactly is this thing? So 
just months after we founded, we teamed up with Harvard Law School and World Wildlife Fund and Natural Resources Defense Council and ReFed and Drexel University and some other amazing experts and formally defined upcycled food. And you can read about the study where um, we, we go into the nitty gritty of defining something which is fascinating. Um, and basically it means taking an ingredient that would have otherwise gone to a food waste destination like landfill or animal feed and creating a new higher value food product um, out of it. And is this just for food and beverage products or does it apply more broadly to other uh, product categories? Well, what we call a f- upcycled food is for human consumption because it's all about bringing food to its highest value and best use. But a lot of the people out there that are making upcycled ingredients, these ingredients can be used in food, but they can also be used in all kinds of things. It turns out that cosmetics uh, make a lot of their products from food ingredients. Think about you know, the oils that are, that are in makeup and, and personal care products. Those are, those are food ingredients. And um, so whether it's pet food or food for yourself or home goods or personal goods, there's a lot of stuff that you can make out of upcycled food. Okay. So it's, um, so it does apply to other product categories, like a, other product categories could be considered upcycled. Well, yes, we're, we're in the process of figuring out what can you actually call upcycled and what can't you, this definition that we created, it was really good to kind of create a platform for policy and research, but it didn't do the task of saying this thing is upcycled. That one's not, this one is, that one's not. And so to do that task, we had to create an entirely new system of certification. So we're in the process right now of creating this revolutionary new product certification program that will give consumers the ability to participate in the single greatest solution to climate change, as you said, every time they are shopping for food and products, every time they're in a grocery store. Okay, so I want to get into what it took to or what it is taking to create a certification process. But before we do, can you give us a sense of how big the market is for upcycled foods today? Today, Like how many products exist and has this field grown, um, at least from a producer standpoint, in the past few years? Sure. Well, there was a study that came out about a year ago by Future Market Insights that estimated the size of the entire economy around reducing food waste to be about $46, $47 billion. Okay, that's a so lot. that's yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> um, and they anticipated a 5% compound annual growth rate. And that study came out before Upcycled Food Association was formed. Our nonprofit is only about a year old, just over a year old. And so you can think bleakly about our mission being to accelerate that growth, right? And so um, there's the size of the market. How many products are there out there? We did a survey this year, the first survey of the upcycled food industry, and we found that there are probably around 400 or more products already on the market. And that's more than we thought. And we think that the fact that it is more than we thought it was going to be is a is a really important um, impetus for creating the certification because the fact is the products are already out there. The right. solution's already out there. We just need to give consumers 
access to that solution so that when they're in the grocery store, they can start looking for that word upcycled food and seek it out and purchase it. So there are 400 products, about 400 products on the market today made from food waste. That's, that's our uh, estimate. Yes. And our goal is to make many more. We envision a future where a shopper of the future will be filling their entire grocery cart with nothing but upcycled products. You know, I'm a shopper that cares about the environment. I want to do good for the world. And so, you know what? I only buy upcycled. Um, that's the, that's the shopper that we're kind of trying to, to work towards and the grocery store that we're trying to work towards. So we envision thousands of, of upcycled products being drawn into the market in the form of new startups. A lot of our members are startup companies, um, and we're here to support them and to help them grow their businesses. But then also it's about getting big companies, established companies to include just a, a little bit, even potentially of an upcycled ingredient into a product that already sells really well, right? As a way to lower its carbon footprint, as a way to uh, help achieve that company's sustainability goals and food waste goals specifically, and as a way to make the, the company resonate with that shopper of the future better. Who were some of the early pioneers or, or first companies with products to market in this space? Were they startups or were they, like you said, the more established companies working, looking to do something new? It was kind of a mix. So, uh, like I said, about a year ago when our, when our organization started, these nine co-founding organizations came together to start Upcycled Food Association. And that is my favorite part of our Genesis story because it really shows we're not here just creating uh, this organization for, for the heck of it. We are created by the very sort of companies that we exist to support. Um, so it's kind of like four upcycled food companies and buy upcycled food companies. Since then, in the past year, we've grown to a membership of over 125 now. It's growing every day. And these are big companies, publicly traded multinationals like Dole and Griffith Foods and IFF and Barry Callabout, all the way down to small pre-launch startups, um, 20 countries um, or maybe even more than 20 countries now. I, like I said, our membership is growing all the time. So it's a really diverse group of, of businesses in terms of geography and, and business stage. It's also really diverse in terms of the offering. We have, yes, product and ingredient companies, but also equipment manufacturers and technology companies and product developers and consultancies. And so it's kind of every sort of business that it takes to get a whole new sustainable food category off the ground. And how are you demonstrating the consumer demand? So we, we know that there are these products that are out there. How are you kind of demonstrating to you know those maybe even thinking of getting into the space or encouraging more established companies to look more seriously into producing food of you know in this way? Like how are you assuring these companies, if you will, that there will be an end market for totally. the products? Well, yeah. And that's the first question that we get from everyone. Like, are consumers going to buy into this? Upcycled, that's kind of a weird word. It sounds like recycled, like you said at the beginning of the episode. And it's true. And, um, you know, 
even though it sounds a little bit weird and some people go, hmm, what is upcycled? We actually have evidence to show that upcycled is the term for this new category and this um, this concept that consumers most resonate with. There's a study that Drexel University did that, that showed of all the things that we could call it, um, let's call it upcycled food because that's what what uh, consumers resonate with the best. And in that same study, by the way, we found that consumers think of upcycled food as a standalone food category, analogous to something like organic or conventional. And so that's where the precedent for me claiming that it really could be this sustainable alternative that a shopper could fill their whole grocery cart with comes from. Um, so that's kind of the, the basis. That's where that's, that's the context for this whole consumer, um, attitudes, uh, sort of question. Right. And then the, at the end of the day, the more important question is how much of this stuff are people going to buy? Are people going to buy upcycled food? And it seems like the answer resoundingly is yes. About 95% of people want to reduce food waste, which is amazing, right? Ubiquitous agreement on the single greatest solution to climate change. That is really special. Um, well, in this day and age where we can agree on nothing, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's, it's a feat. <laughs> it's, it totally is. Except there's still those 5% that are like, oh my yes. God, who are, who are those people? Climate but anyway, no. Deniers, <laughs> or yeah, right? deniers, yeah. Exactly. Well, probably. Um, <laughs> or even worse, right? Because across the political spectrum, like the Trump administration invested a lot in reducing food waste, but then people on the far left really care about reducing food waste. Whatever your reasoning, it doesn't matter. Let's come together around this. It's the single greatest solution to climate change. So come on. Um, so 95% of people want to reduce food waste. What about this form of food waste reduction? There's plenty of ways that you can reduce food waste, like just buying less and donating food and on and on and on and on. There's a lot of really great resources that I encourage everyone to look up that help uh, you reduce food waste in your home and when you're shopping, etc. Um so what about this solution, upcycled food? Well, it turns out that somewhere between 60 and 80% of people want to try more upcycled food products. There's a study done by Matson, which is a big uh, product developer, a study done by University of Otago in New Zealand, and then also a, a study, really interesting study done by Foodstuffs New Zealand, which is the biggest uh, grocery retail chain in New Zealand, kind of like their Kroger or Walmart. Um, and they found that actually about 80% of consumers there are interested in, in trying more upcycled food. But the key here is that only about 10% of people know what it is currently. So but the vast majority of people are going to want to try and, and purchase upcycled foods. But first, in order to get there, we have a huge consumer education lift to get people to into the point where they understand and they and they look for and ultimately purchase products that are upcycled. Well, I wonder how much of the the lift is going to be to get the kind of psychology like um, con the acceptance around the idea that you're going to be, especially for products that are going to be, con you know, consumed, you're going to be eating a product made from food waste. It seems like that's going to be a pretty big barrier. Or is that something that you haven't seen as a problem, like from a marketing standpoint? You know, I think it has to do with sort of redefining our conception of what food waste is and what it looks like. It, it doesn't look 
like taking all of the rotten food in your compost bin and, and turning it into a food ingredient. Um, instead, it looks like taking perfectly healthy, perfectly nutritious, perfectly edible food um, and that just for whatever reason doesn't have a market. It doesn't have a use um, or its its current use is lower value and elevating it to its highest and best use. So think about the, you know, a lot of our members are doing stuff with um, cacao fruit. There's little known fact, the, the seeds that we make chocolate out of from the cacao pod only make up about 30% of the, of the whole pod. And then there's a lot of this fruit, this white, really sweet, delicious fruit that we just discard. Mm-hmm. We just don't do anything with it. It's the second most grown fruit in the world. We eat a lot huh. of chocolate, turns out. Yeah, second yeah, most grown yeah. fruit in the world. Wow. And we don't use it. So why? That's silly. There's this really high quality. It's nutritious. It's full of antioxidants. It's delicious. So let's put it to good use. So it's, it's again, that's the kind of stuff that people are doing. Take another, that's sort of a byproduct from agriculture, right? And a lot of our members are using byproducts from agriculture, either surplus produce or you know, some part of the fruit or vegetable that's left over when you're processing or transporting or harvesting a, a um, more conventional food item. And then on the other hand, we have a lot of members that are using uh, byproducts from food manufacturing. So take, for example, juice pulp. It, you know, if you take the juice pulp, it has all this fiber and nutrients. And um, if you dry it out right away, you can do all kinds of things with it, like make flour or make chips or what have you. And again, perfectly nutritious, perfectly edible. Um, it's not coming out of the trash can or anything. It's just right now, the the companies that are making juice are like, okay, we get our juice over here, bottle it, sell it. That's our business model. And they're not really thinking about what to do with the juice pulp. Right. Just um, throw it away. Just throw it away. Yeah. yeah. Just just leave it be. You know, that's that's not our problem. But it is our problem. It's mm-hmm. We're all paying for that. And this is something we say a lot is, you don't pay for the juice and get the pulp for free. <laughs> you, don't, you don't pay for the cacao seeds and get the fruit for free. We're all paying for it. Our environment is paying for it. And so if we're going to put all this energy into growing our food, then let's make sure we get all of that energy out. You know, we spend about 20% of all fresh water, about 25% of all arable land on earth to create food that ultimately doesn't get eaten. Right. And so let's, it's, it's an amazing amount. It accounts for about 8% of all human caused greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. I mean, it's staggering. And it, um, so it sounds like the, the first step was defining it, (laughs) which makes perfect sense. Defining this, you know, the upcycled term and then a big part of your work since then. And it, you've only been in existence for about a year now, right? So it's, so you've done a lot in a short period of time, um, but the the your the other part of the work that you have spent a lot of time doing is creating this um, certification standard. So can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you have you know undergone to create this draft standard? Um, who is involved and what actions have been taken to date? So we published the definition research in May of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, just a normal month, nothing interesting happening historically then whatsoever. We were pretty <laughs> bored at the moment. <laughs> nothing and going on in the United nothing, States. Definitely not. No, yeah. No, nothing. 
So we had all this time on our hands. And so we said, why don't we do another big project? Let's turn this definition into something a little bit more practical, like a certification. And so we got this big group of people together, about 15 world experts, amazing world experts, you know, people who were, you know, co-founders of the Project Non-GMO and the um, people who have been on the uh, National Organic Standards Board and the executive director of the Clean Label Project and just amazing, amazing world experts in the realm of certification and independent volunteer group of people. And they have been working since then to create this certification standard, which basically, think of the standard as the thing that says you must be at least this tall to ride the ride. You must do at least this much food waste reduction to get the certification on your product. Um, and so ultimately what it's going to look like is consumers will see on a product um, and then there's sort of a business-to-business -business aspect too because we're certifying ingredients as well. But anyway, a, a consumer will, will see on a product the, a logo, a seal, that bears the, um, the you know, word upcycled and is an attempt to communicate all of that environmental impact that they're having by choosing this product. And so they'll have a lot of confidence in knowing that, hey, this is upcycled. That means if I buy this product, I'm helping to reduce food waste. That means by buying this product, I'm helping to, I'm, I'm contributing to that single greatest solution to climate change. Um, and so right now, the first draft of the standard has been released for public comment. And so um, through December 4th, I believe, um, anyone can make their voice heard and be a part of creating this revolutionary new product certification program. And shortly thereafter, we will accept, uh, start accepting applications and consumers will start seeing uh, certified upcycled products on the shelves in 2021. Well, that seems very. That seems very fast. Who would be responsible for? Is this would just be a third party? So sorry, this would just be a third party, uh, like certification. This is not going to be like federally mandated or not mandated, but federally like overseen in any way. Correct. Yeah. So the Upcycled Food Association will kind of play an administrative role, and then a third party. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're an association and we have these members. So mm -hmm. um, as a way to make the certification, you know, even more rigorous, um, it's actually a third party, um, an auditor, basically, who will go to each of the um, establishments of, of um, companies applying for upcycled certification. And they'll be the one to, to say, you know, is this product uh, worthy of, of the certification? Does it meet the standard? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's kind of a separation of powers in order to ensure that greenwashing doesn't occur and that um, we're having the maximum benefit we can. Um, okay. Well, that's a good segue to, I have a, another question of mine, which is, you know, some would say that the last thing we might need is another label on a package, right? There's so many certifications and claims and it's really confusing for consumers to wade through right now what is legitimate and what is, to your point, greenwashing. So I'm wondering how you would respond to that and are there other ways that people can learn about upcycled products besides putting an on-pack label? Yeah, absolutely. And you said most people would agree that 
the last thing we need is another label. I'm one of those people. Okay. I, yeah. I, and our whole organization <laughs> really like no one, no one here sees this as like, Oh, let's just create another certification to confuse people and to, um, you know, to market greenwash and to market. Let's, yeah, yeah. let's make more money for big food companies. Isn't that what we need? Well, that's really not what it's about. This is, we're a nonprofit. Okay, our mission is to reduce food waste. This is a tool that we're using because we think, we know that 10% of people know what upcycled is. We need that number to go up. And the best way to do that is to use the collective microphones of megaphones, rather, of all of our 125 plus members and let them communicate out with their thousands, millions, billions of customers, right? And so it, it really, we're thinking about it as a tool to spread the gospel of upcycled food. This is the consumer-based way to reduce food waste, the consumer-driven solution that's the, the best solution to climate change. And um, what's unique about this, this certification is that it doesn't just tell the consumer um, you know, what's in the food. When you buy an organic product, it's basically like, what's in this food? Buy non-GMO, there's no GMOs in, in this food. That's kind of what you're saying. Whereas with this certification, the way that we're positioning it is really more about the impact. How much, by buying this product, how much food waste am I reducing? How, how much carbon emissions am I preventing by, by purchasing this product? That's really what matters to people. Um, and so that's, that's how we're positioning it. Um, will there will there be like a tiered process? Do you think, or is it just going to kind of be like one threshold right now? Well, uh, that is the sort of detail that you can get by looking at the draft <laughs> standard the and, and I'll providing have some comments. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. No, we we really want it to be democratic and um, for for the masses to kind of point out the flaws and to make this. Um, make this as good as it can be. We're very much an organization that values getting it right, not being right. Oh, okay. Like so we, yeah, I think that's a Brene Brown quote. Like most things I say, <laughs> like very wise. <laughs> if I say anything eloquent, uh, tonight <laughs> you Brene can think Brown. Brene Brown. <laughs> that's true for most people. So <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. She's really my, my hero. <laughs> Um, okay, so so a couple more labeling questions, and then we're go, we're gonna go to a break. But I'm wondering if there were um, any big sticking points in the process to date. Any kind of like, you know, any issues in particular that you guys took a little bit longer just to work through for for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, um, for example, this is this is some serious nitty gritty here. But for, <laughs> I, mean, for that's, example, I live in the weeds, so welcome. Great. <laughs> All right. Let's <laughs> let's get down into the weeds then. So, for example, um, percentage. How how much of this product by net weight has to be upcycled? Now that we know what upcycled is, how much of it has to be in a product in order to consider it upcycled? And that's uh, it's sort of a, a tricky thing because. Um, upcycled food comes in all shapes and sizes and, um, what works for one product doesn't work for another. And we don't want to exclude people who can potentially have a really big impact on our mission, preventing food waste, just because they don't meet some arbitrary, uh, percentage limit. I'll give you an example. If there's a beverage company, most beverages that you buy are, you know, some massive percentage of water. 
Right. Right. And so yeah. if we set a level of like, oh, you have to, you know, all upcycled products have to be at least, you know, 90% upcycled, um, which is not what's in the current draft, by the way, just, just for the sake of, of hyperbole, an example. Mm-hmm. If everything has to be 90%, then some beverage out there that has a huge distribution and prevents millions of pounds of food waste every year could get excluded. And we don't want to do that. We want to include the people who are the the movers and shakers in this nascent industry. And there's a lot of really great energy here. And so it's about baby steps and celebrating the good that's happening and also encouraging growth and improvement over time. So there's an example of, of something that was was really challenging to kind of figure out. But I think that the the group of people who came up with this draft standard is truly brilliant. And um, I think it ultimately is going to be a, a minimum viable product this year that will sort of be the foundation to a certification that will be improved year after year after year and will incrementally prevent more and more food waste every year. Um, what, it, and that's a kind of a, a, my next question is about, um, reflecting, I'm wondering if you reflected back on the process for creating the national organic program that happened in the nineties. And was there anything that, um, your group of experts kind of drew from that experience and applied to creating this certain standard? Certainly, I mean, the, the benchmark for what constitutes organic in terms of percentage of the product probably had to do, you know, was, was relevant at some point. Yeah. The whole process of creating a certification is so complicated. Um, it takes forever. Like you said, that's really fast. You guys just started this a year ago. (laughs) Yes. It's very fast. I think it take, I've heard somewhere that it normally takes about four years to get a certification (laughs) off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing it in basically one year. Um, and we're able to do that by the way, because we have all the right people helping us out. So I'll say that it's, we're, we're not throwing it together either where we just, we, this is the best solution to climate change and 95% of people really want to contribute to this environmental solution. And so we've been able to attract some really smart people to help us out. Um, and so we're very grateful. Thank you so much to everyone on the certification standards committee. By the way, it's a volunteer-driven group, and um, we're going to be taking applications to sit on that group every year. So if anyone out there is a certification nerd or a food waste nerd and wants to join, sometime in 2021, we'll release another round of applications, and you can be very, um, you can have a really even more strong voice in developing the standard um, in the future. Amazing. So... Yeah. I just wrote that down. Um, great. Yes. <laughs> we'll probably be getting my you. application. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to slide my resume across the desk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Okay. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, you do, you, the, the group who at least worked on the definition standpoint was um, incredibly impressive. So, I am excited to get into the weeds of the document, and it sounds like very thoughtful. And I mean, one year is so fast. I guess you have maybe probably more flexibility if it's not going to be, at least at this point, like a federal standard, but is that something that eventually, like pie in the sky looking down the road, you would like to see something incorporated? You know, I don't know, because, you know, we've definitely thought about that. Here's kind of where I think about this. 
on one hand, it's a huge benefit because since the government controls that the use of that word on, on food packaging and labeling, it means that their certification and their use of that word is prolific, which is great for growing an industry. And that's sort of exactly what we're trying to do. I mean, I think sales of uh, organic food ended up topping $50 billion last year. That's amazing growth over the past few decades since organic food kind of started becoming a mainstream thing. That's exactly what we're going for, except we want to do it even more and even faster. Um, and so, you know, that route seems interesting. It's also, you kind of lose power and you end up, you know, cr introducing a lot more bureaucracy and a lot less flexibility. And what about the people in other countries? Like I said, we have members in 20 plus countries that are all doing really great stuff and we don't want to exclude them. And it's so complicated, Jenna. I wish I had the answer, but our here's here's what I do know. Our we have at the end of the day, we have this really this this gift of clarity that everything we do is just a a humble um, tact in the the mission of reducing food waste. Everything we do is is sort of just. Um, intended to help us accomplish that mission. And so that is, we basically have a, a guiding star to help us to make every decision. Um, and that, that decision is no different. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, this is a good place for us to take a really quick commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors, but, um, to our listeners, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Here at HRN, we care about reducing waste across our food system, from farms to home kitchens. We know that about half the produce we grow ends up in the trash. We all want to enjoy produce at peak freshness and reduce the amount that gets thrown away. That's where Appeal comes in. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. It's edible, invisible, and imitates how peels naturally protect fruits and vegetables. Because here's the thing, less waste doesn't just mean we're throwing less food away, it also means we waste less water, energy, and other resources that go into growing produce. Appeal works with nature to reduce waste across the food system, from the farm to the kitchen. Appeal helps us conserve our precious resources to ensure we have fresh food to meet our growing need. Appeal, food gone good. Learn more at appeal.com. And we're back. We're today, I'm speaking with Turner Wyatt, CEO and co-founder of the Upcycled Food Association. Um, I am wondering, so we, we talked a lot about certification before the break. Um, switching now, I'm wondering uh, how much the industry is hindered by the fact that there isn't really a robust infrastructure in place for organics collections across the country, right? Mm. And and like how big of a role now now that you've like ticked off these two big parts of your work, you know, definition, certification, in process, how big of a role do you foresee the organization playing in lobbying things like mandates for organic waste separation? That's a great question. So let me answer that a little bit more broadly. We have this mission that I've mentioned a few times, preventing food waste by growing the upcycled food economy. 
And as you know, how do you do that? We have sort of these four key objectives. And um, one of them is to increase demand for upcycled food, to improve the network for upcycled food, to bring more financial capital into the upcycled food industry. And then the last one is to improve the upcycled food supply chain. And that one is relevant to what you're saying, because at the end of the day, if companies can't get to upcycled ingredients, to to put it very simply, over simply, um, then this solution can't take hold. We need to create a really efficient and um, productive pipeline to get food that otherwise would have gone to waste into the hands of manufacturers and product developers and food upcyclers, essentially. Um, and that looks a lot of different ways. Right now, we're focusing on just connecting businesses. We have this amazing online communication tool that is sort of just a place for people to share ideas and say, hey, I have this, or hey, I want that. And over time, we want to make that a lot more robust. But again, that's part of the beauty of being a year old. We get to test a lot, and most things are not developed in their most perfect ultimate forms yet. And so um, that's one thing that we're doing. We're creating partnerships kind of across the supply chain with every everyone from people involved at production to people involved at retail and everything in between. And so we're at this point still learning about what does the upcycled food supply chain look like and therefore how can it be optimized? And at the end of the day, again, it's all about creating more opportunities for people who really don't even care about food waste or don't really think about it, or certainly they're not motivated necessarily by the same things that we are, but they do it because it makes business sense and because it's sort of the thing that that uh, people in the food industry are doing. We want to make it you know, impossible or at least really hard to say no to participating in the upcycled food industry because it just makes so much sense. It's so easy. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I, it seems to me that it would be um, it's like so important to have like just a requirement, right? I mean, even for like commercial um, commercial businesses, institutions to source separate their waste streams so that that can you know people can have like easy easier access. Totally. Um, um, so I'm wondering, are there, are there cities in place now with more robust organic waste collection requirements in place? Or is this just kind of like, I mean, I, I could tell you New York was on the right track until COVID. Yeah. <laughs> it's not anymore, you know. Cities, so. cities I, so I used to be on the Denver Sustainable Food Policy Council, um, my, my hometown of Denver, and we looked into it. Um, I don't know if we ha- if we were modeling after any other municipality. Certainly, states have. Um, I think California was the first, and since uh, Massachusetts and Vermont, and probably a few others, whole nations have. You've probably heard of um, France, and I think a few <laughs> other com- countries around the world that I've heard of France. Come- yes, I've heard well, of that you've, one. <laughs> you've heard of that country? Okay. Well, they have yes. a really amazing food waste to landfill ban. Basically, you have to donate food if you're a food business or a grocery store, which is, which is great. Um, and then on a corporate level too, there's companies like Starbucks and probably some other that I that I'm not thinking of right now. And so it makes sense that whether you're a corporation or a city or a state or a country you can do something like that. And boy, wouldn't that help the upcycled food supply chain? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so um, it's definitely something that we 
um, we are interested in supporting. Um, we have the ability, because of our, our organization type, we have the ability to um, be politically active. And we know that policy is a really important lever for um, us to consider when we're thinking about the best way to accomplish our mission. And so, yes, um, it's it, we're focused right now, pretty laser focused on certification, but ultimately we're going to be looking at that and lots of other policy potentials too. Um, speaking of COVID and impacting kind of, um, you know, everything, I'm wondering how it's impacted some of your um, operations of your members. You know, I think... Um, obviously like there where the food waste is still a very big problem um you know what what i have experienced in the past year is that food waste from commercial um you know aspects avenues has dramatically decreased right people are like not in offices not in stadiums Mm -hmm. anymore um so it's definitely it's not gone away but it's definitely like shifted in the supply chain where it's coming from have any of your ex- members kind of like struggled with this um this shift in the supply chain and what have they had to do to address it Yeah well I think most people know at this point one of the industries that has been probably uh, you know one of the most affected industries if not the most affected industry by covid is the food industry right people and it was kind of a blessing in disguise. I hate to say that, but in a way, you know, the, there were these blockbuster New York Times uh, articles about food waste. And I think people, uh, there's a lot of people out there who they heard about food waste and started caring about food waste for the first time this year. And that's always good. So a lot of our members were dealing with the same things that, you know, every food business was huge disruption in supply chain and, and kind of uncertainty. And then at the same time, you know, remember back to that boring month of, you know, April and, and May when mm-hmm. everyone was, there was all this panic buying and grocery stores were like having a hard time keeping things on the shelf. Well, yeah, the same was true for a lot of food businesses. They were, they were seeing their direct to consumer sales go through the roof. And so it was kind of, um, it was across the board. And I think that, um, you know, at this point people are kind of starting to settle into the new normal and what's amazing is we actually have a few members who who formed their companies either this year or within a, a year of of the pandemic, and um, so a lot of a lot of resiliency within our membership that um, that there's a lot of people who who deserve to be very proud that they've been able to to um, keep their businesses afloat this year with all this craziness. Yeah, and have to make big changes um, kind of on the fly to make it happen. Um, yeah. Well, what are some of the big challenges that you foresee facing the upcycled industry in the next year or so? So big challenges for us, like I said, 80% of people will buy upcycled foods if we can just get them to know what it is. And so that's our big focus. We want upcycled food to be a household name. We want it to be as used or more used than organic and the way that we do that is by getting upcycled food in front of more people, by communicating the impact that upcycled food has on issues that people care about, like your health and your wallet and your planet. And um, it's about creating partnerships and getting, getting the word out there. So we're really trying to grow our following and use um, a lot of really creative tactics to get upcycled food in front of consumers in fun and interesting ways. Um, at the end of the day, yeah, it's, it's about 
getting more upcycled food um, in front of more people. Um, okay, so last question. Um, the hunt for, I mean, I come out of startup world, so the, the hunt for the upcycled unicorn is mm. on, or, or so I've read. Um, any predictions? <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me give a, a interesting answer because I'm, <laughs> I work for the association and, and uh, we, we don't like to play favorites. True, we very good point. We love all of our members. And so, to, to avoid... so you can just, D, just DM me later. <laughs> 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 it's this one, cough, cough. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to avoid giving an overly vague answer, I'll, I'll try to give a more interesting answer than just calling out a, a one business or, or another. So here's what we always say. So food waste is the best solution to climate change. What? That's kind of weird. What would most people say if you asked them that? They would say, what would you say, Jenna? Um, reducing meat consumption. That's a big one. Or more stop plant- flying. A, a plant-based diet. Um, to stop using fossil fuels to to fuel our transportation needs. Um, maybe solar panels or other renewable energy sources. Why do people think of those things when they think of the best solution to climate change? I mean, because I live in the food and ag world. <laughs> I'm not yes. a good person to ask. <laughs> well, here's I don't here's. Know. Here's my hypothesis. Yeah. I think it's because there are consumer industries based around all of those solutions. You yeah. can you can buy solar panels for your house. You can buy a Tesla. You can mm-hmm. buy impossible burgers or just you can do vegetables. About it. You can yeah. do something about it. Like an average yeah. person can go out there and live a normal life and then on any given day go, I'm gonna do something about this with my money or my time. But you can't buy food waste prevention. But you can. Now you can. can. (laughs) And that's the beautiful thing. And so in the same way that we've seen um, all of those other industries, renewable energy and electric cars and and, um, meat alternatives grow, that's the way that we're going to see the upcycled food industry grow. And how does that happen? Well, a big part of it is by drawing more financial capital from impact investors and heck, just investors that don't give a damn about an impact. They just want a good return into the industry. Um, so we're doing a lot of work in that sense too, trying to allow this solution to truly be driven by consumers, by giving consumers a way to plug into and be a part of that single greatest solution to climate change, food waste prevention. All right. Well, I think that's a, a perfect place to leave it. Um, before I let you go, can you just remind listeners where they can find the draft certification? Um, I'm assuming it's posted online and where they can read more about your work. Absolutely. You can follow us on Instagram at Upcycled Food. You can go to our website um, upcycledfood.org. And that's on our website is where you can see the draft certification standard and leave public comment. Um, and that's also where you can connect with me and the rest of our staff. Awesome. Well, Turner, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a real, uh, pleasure to speak with you and learn more about the awesome work you're doing. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on.
Thank you. Okay, I want to give a big thank to our sponsors as well. Our show engineer is the one and only Matt Patterson, and music is by Tim Archer. All episodes of Eating Matters are available on the HRN website or as a podcast wherever they're they're found. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. I'm Jenna Liud, and thank you for listening. Eating Matters is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right-hand side of our homepage. Thanks for listening.